How do you picture God's face as he looks at you? How do you picture God's face as he looks at you? It is one thing to believe that God has forgiven us for the sins we committed before becoming a Christian. We were enslaved to sin. We, we hadn't been given new life. We didn't have the Holy Spirit living in us. But what about now? Now we're born again. We know the truth that Jesus is Lord. We know all that he's done for us. We have the Spirit empowering us to obey. How does God feel about our continued failure? For many of us, we believe he loves us, but it's a love infected with disappointment. We picture God frustrated with us, wondering how are they still failing so much after all I've done for them. And if that is how we picture God, then we will be reluctant to come to him. Do you find yourself doing this? After you've sinned, you're slow to come to God? Maybe you want some time to beat yourself up a bit or, or to wait for the feelings of guilt to subside. You feel like it would be presumptuous to come immediately, to be forgiven immediately. And if we do come, we come with head hung low in shame. The reason we picture God like this is because we think God is like us. We project our own capacity for love onto him and that is why Romans 5 is in the Bible. This section of Romans chapters 5 to 8 is all about assurance. And this passage is one that gives us great security in the present and great certainty for the future. Every day of Katie's life, I have said to her at bedtime, Katie, I love you and I'll always love you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you so that you know you're safe and loved and wanted. And he's never going to leave you. And he's never going to let you go. So today, Romans 5, 1 to 11, we're going to focus on verses 6 to 11, but let's walk through verses 1 to 5 by way of introduction. Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the opening chapters of Romans, Paul has laid out the heart of his gospel message. He has shown that every person is guilty of sin and falls short of God's glory. In ourselves, we do not have the righteousness we need to be accepted by God. But in the gospel, God has revealed a way for guilty sinners to be justified. That is to be declared innocent, righteous in his sight. How does God do this? In his amazing love, God sent his perfect son to die in our place, paying the penalty that we deserve so that we can be fully forgiven and receive the righteousness of Christ as our own. An easy way to remember what justified means is, to, is that God looks at me just as if I'd been Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. God looks at me, treats me just as if I'd been Jesus. And this righteousness that God provides to us is not something we need to earn or merit through our good works. It's a free gift that we receive by faith. Now, in chapter 5, Paul begins to spell out the implications of this justification. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, three things follow. We have peace with God. We were his enemies, now his friends. Secondly, we stand in grace. We stand in a position of unconditional acceptance. And thirdly, we rejoice in hope. We boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We will see God's glory and we will share in it. We ourselves will be glorified. We will share in Christ's resurrection and reign. Death is no longer something to fear for the Christian because it will usher us into the life that is truly life. Every day I try to remind myself, today is a day of Christ's reign. Today is a day that I stand in grace. Today is a day of opportunity to bring glory to God and blessing to others. And today is one day closer to the day I see my Saviour's face. And he will wipe every tear from my eyes. And he'll fill my heart with fullness of joy. In verse 3, Paul says, We also rejoice in sufferings, because in God's purposes, even suffering serves to strengthen our hope. And then verse 5, Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame. In other words, hope does not let us down. It doesn't lead to disappointment. We can be confident in this hope. It will be fulfilled. Paul wants us to be sure of hope. And so he gives two reasons for confidence. Firstly, God's love has been proved and poured out. And secondly, our future salvation has been secured. So firstly, God's love has been proved and poured out. If we're sure that God loves us, then we'll be confident that he will fulfill his promises for the future. So verse 5, Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, the Holy Spirit makes the love of God real to us. It's the Spirit who enables us to know God's love in our felt experience. And you know what the Spirit points us to as the proof of God's love? The cross. See, verse 5 is talking about our subjective experience of God's love. Verse 6 to 8 is about the objective proof. Verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When it says God demonstrates his love, it could be translated God proves his love or he puts his love beyond question. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Three things that make this love of God unique. Firstly, it was Christ who died for us. Christ the King of Kings, Christ, the Sinless One, Christ, the Eternal Beloved Son. Christ died for us. Secondly, he died for us. He didn't merely give us teaching or healing or blessing, loving as those things would be. 
He gave his life for us. He died for us. And he died for us in our place, suffering the punishment we deserve. He endured hell to secure our heaven. And thirdly, Christ died for us. In verse 7, Paul says, it's possible that someone might give their life for a good person or a righteous person. But the unique thing about God's love is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Neither good or righteous, but ungodly, enemies of God. Jesus didn't die for us once we started to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to show some worthiness, some friendliness towards him. No, while we were still his enemies, he took the initiative and loved us to the extreme. We didn't deserve it. We didn't even ask for it. Yet when we were at our worst, God gave his very best. And so God has put his love beyond question. The cross is the one absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. We need no further evidence. We can demand no greater proof. Never again can I say, God doesn't love me. The cross stands at the center of history as a declaration of love. Whatever trials we may endure, however low we may feel, we need never doubt God's love. And God's love guarantees our hope. How do I know God loves me? Because when I was at my worst, he gave his very best. And the Holy Spirit has been poured into my heart to enable me to grasp and to know this incomprehensible love. The second reason we can be confident is because our future salvation has been secured. In verses 9 to 11, twice in these verses, Paul uses the same phrase, how much more? Let me read again from verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of, of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When, talks, when Paul talks about being saved from God's wrath, he's talking about future salvation. He's talking about the day of wrath, the day of judgment. He's saying, how much more can we be confident that we will be saved on that day? That we will not suffer the wrath of God as we deserve. Paul is saying, God's already done the greater thing, the more difficult thing. And so we can be absolutely sure he will do the easier thing. See, if Christ died for us while we were his enemies, now we are his friends, his children, we can be absolutely certain that he will bring us home to glory. There's a wonderful old hymn called A Debtor to Mercy Alone. You should look it up and read the whole thing, but let me quote to you the, the final verse. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the promise is given, more happy but not more secure 
the glorified spirits in heaven. The glorified spirits, Christians who have died and are now with Jesus in heaven, they're more happy than we are who still live in this fallen world, but they are not more secure. They're not more secure. If you are in Christ, then you are utterly secure. Your future is 100% guaranteed. And what does that mean for our present relationship with God? When we fail him again and we fear his disappointments? Well, the assurance of Romans 5 is this. If he loved us in our mess then, he will love us in our mess now. If he drew near to us when we hated him, he will not withdraw from us now that we hope to please him. If he willingly suffered for us when we were his enemies, he won't now turn away from us in frustration. Now we are his children. The very fact that we are troubled by our sin shows that we are his children, that we have been born again. If we were still enemies, we wouldn't be bothered. Let me read to you what Dane Ortland says. When you sin... Do a thorough job of repenting. Rehate sin all over again and consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit and his pure ways. But reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder, a little stiffer. Did you hear that? Reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder. He's not flustered by your sinfulness. Dane Ortland goes on. If you are in Christ, and only a soul in Christ would be troubled at offending him, your waywardness does not threaten your place in the love of God any more than history itself can be undone. The hardest part has been accomplished. God has already executed everything needed to secure your eternal happiness, and he did that while you were an orphan. Nothing can now unchild you, not even you. Those in Christ are eternally imprisoned within the tender heart of God. We will be less sinful in the next life than we are now, but we will not be any more secure in the next life than we are now. If you are united to Christ, you are as good as in heaven already. I want to finish this morning by turning to the words of Jesus in John chapter 6. Let me read from verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will nev- I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up. At the last day. These words of Jesus take the wonderful security of Romans 5 and 
make it personal. It's the will of the Father that Jesus lose none of those who come to him. And it's the promise of Jesus himself. As he says in chapter 10, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And as he says here in chapter 6, I will raise them up. I will never drive them away. That phrase from verse 37, I'll never drive away, is actually a double negative, which in Greek makes it more emphatic. Whoever comes to me, I'll never, ever drive away. It's a promise that answers all our doubts and objections. Dane Ortland says, Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistance to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins and failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. No wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses, my offenses aren't directed against others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You see, we cannot present a reason for Christ to close his heart to us. No such reason exists. With every human friend, there's a limit, isn't there? If we offend enough, if we betray enough times, then they will cut us off. But with Christ, our sins and failures are the very things that qualify us to come to him. We stand in grace. Our relationship with him will always be on the basis of grace. Nothing is required but coming to him. First at conversion and then a million times after until we're with him, with, with him in glory. And so the application this morning is the same as it has been throughout the series. Come. Come. The Lord Jesus himself says this morning, come to me. Whoever you are, come to me. Come to me in your struggle. Come to me in your sin. Come to me in your weakness and your waywardness. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me and you will find rest for your soul.
as another great hymn says, the soul that on Jesus has come to rely, their cry for mercy he will not deny, that soul, though all hell should endeavour to shake, he'll never, no never, no never forsake. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you so that you know you're safe and you're loved and you're wanted and he's never going to leave you and he'll never, ever let you go. Amen.